Leon. I've been um, in, in and out of the studio, um, doing demos, working with record companies, different producers. You were gone all the time. Yeah, it was it was ban this, ban that. So I mean, I was at rehearsal, writing songs, at the studio, doing gigs, um, doing press conferences, having management meetings, whatever. I was like crazy busy trying to get this new band Mad Moxie signed. broke up oh it was very I was very sad even though it was my I wanted to do it right I wanted to break up it was all your idea it was my idea because I wasn't happy but I still felt like we were supposed to be together but anyways it took me a while to wean off the Tropicana I knew that I didn't have to come up with that big apartment payment but I don't know. Somehow I just kept going back there until I could find a job. In the meantime, they offered um, me to go to South America, Colombia, South America. You know, this is late 80s, so there it was still the height of cocaine. I mean, oh, my God. And I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling I mean, sorry for myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go. And I'm going to go. And if something happens to me, nobody's going to even know. Yeah, that's really sad. It was sad, actually. I was really sad. And I went with a bunch of girls. I went with Darcy. Then they all have the same thoughts? No, they all had boyfriends. No, they all had boyfriends. And if any boyfriends knew about it, they probably would have, you think, felt the same way I would have felt about it? I remember they called their boyfriends every night, and I had no one to call. We had just broken up. I didn't tell you. I didn't tell Anybody I was going. Yeah, I don't think no I heard about this one. for possibly years later. Yeah, No one. I yeah. told no one because I was just like, well, because I was kind of scared to go. So I thought, well, if something happens to me, oh, well, you know. If you said exactly what it is, they offered you to go do a Tropicana, take the Tropicana to Colombia. What, right? did, what did they offer me? <laughs> what? I was... Explaining because you just you didn't explain exactly what it was. You said they offered to go to Colombia. Oh, oh, okay. And it kind of made sense that it was. You could tell that it must have been Tropicana girls that they offered. Yeah, but you never mentioned what they offered. Well, I wasn't done with my story, so okay. Right. So, <laughs> but you were going on, and no one understood what the hell you're talking. At least I didn't. Oh. I was over here, and I, and I even know you and know your story. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let me get a little clear. So I went with a whole bunch of girls and. A manager, and there must have been a ref or something. I just remember there was two guys, but one manager that was kind of new. And we all flew. I think we went for under seven days, but we flew there. And it already started off bad because we get on the plane, and the um, flight attendants wouldn't wait on us. We were the only blondes on the plane. They wouldn't wait on us. And I was like, why? They wouldn't give us our drinks, food. And we would have to ask other customers on the plane, hey, can you get our food? And they would hand 
them our food, and then the customer would hand us our our dinner. And I thought that was weird. So they either ignored you or they treated uh-huh. you as if you were like a leper or you were tainted in some way. They didn't want to hand anything yeah. directly to you. Yeah. And you all attribute the to all the blonde hair dye I or bleach. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean, come on. We all had hair and, you know, I don't, I really. I, I can't even imagine how the airplane smelled, to be honest. <laughs> Everyone's perfume and, oh, I mean. <laughs> well, anyway, so we get over there and I am rooming with Darcy, who I've mentioned before. And Darcy had a million bags and we're only staying a few days. I had one bag so I could carry my bag and we get in a fight at the hotel. She's like, can you help me with all my bags? And I'm like, no. (laughs) And that, first of all, that's not like me. I am not like that. But I was like, I only packed one bag so I could handle my bags. I didn't bring like four bags, you know, and so that made her mad. And we get in the elevator. I don't remember really who helped her or if I ended up, but anyways, we were rooming together. And that night, who did I have to wrestle? Oh, mm -mm, Darcy. And first of all, the pit was as big as the entire room. And the people that were there that came to see us, Uh well, there wasn't that many. Uh And the guys had briefcases and giant guns on top of the briefcases. And I'm pretty sure there's probably cocaine in these briefcases. I mean, it was shady. So they just gave people that were doing their their drug, massive drug deals for all of the United States, and they just gave them a little bit of entertainment with the Tropicana girls or something. I don't know. I I, I really don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I go to wrestle Darcy, and it threw me off, like off a little bit because she kind of just beat me up in the pit. And we didn't do that anymore because everybody got to know everybody and we were friends, but she was mad at me. So she was like, bam, 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 you know? Wow, she sounds like kind of a mean girl. (laughs) I'm still friends with Darcy now. Oh, I like Darcy. I know I like Darcy too. Um, I mean, I I guess I was mean. I didn't help her with her bags. Well, I know how you are. If if something like seems like it crosses that line of being fair or not, which I could see, it's like you did everything you could to make your life easy while you were over there, and then someone else is expecting you to help them, to which now makes your life what you exactly didn't want it to be. Right. So it's like, well, no, you know. Yeah. So I I get it. Yeah. So, anyways, it's a good thing she doesn't listen to this because she's going to be mad. (laughs) Hi, Darcy. Anyways, Darcy at the time was smoking cigarettes, and oh my goodness, she um, cigarette hole in the carpet. She burnt the carpet in the in yeah, the. In the I uh, guess because I didn't smoke. And were you guys was, drinking? Probably, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Probably in but, that area, did you guys do any cocaine? No. Well, I didn't. Now I worried about that with all the other girls because all of us, you know. I was worried about that a lot. Yeah, I was, they could have like asked you girls to be drug mules on the way home or uh, anything because diamond. And it, or, the thing was, yeah. is if one girl got in trouble, we were all going down. So it was a little bit like mm, it's just those times and stuff. So we go to check out when we're leaving, um, and we get a bill. Me and Darcy's bill was like fifteen hundred dollars or something crazy like that, and we're just like, what? And they're like, yeah, there was a cigarette hole in the carpet. And she she had to replace the entire whole room of carpet. Well, that's not just like a little piece. Well, honestly, that's the only real way to fix that kind of stuff, especially if it was nice. 
Yeah. Well, well, was it nice? The hotel? I guess it was. I don't really... Yeah. I mean, you know... I mean, you can see it, a patch a mile away, even if the guys are brilliant at that stuff. Oh. I had a, a short other life where I took care of carpets and have a mad respect for uh, oh. people that can fix stuff, but still... Depending on what it is. And I guess I thought that was a little extreme because we weren't making that much money. Well, someone fully took advantage of her because they probably yeah. didn't do what right. they said. Everything know? was shady. So we yeah. get so we get to the airport and our plane is delayed like 24 hours or something crazy because they found cocaine in another plane. Mm-hmm. And so they've stopped the entire airport yeah. and... There's, they're searching the airplane, blah, blah, blah. So then when we're about to get on the plane, they take all of us downstairs at the airport. And we go down these stairs, and it's dark. It's like the basement. There's like this single light that's just swinging. You know, you see in the movies. Wow. And they take our suitcases, and they start searching. And we're all standing around, and I'm going, please, please, no one have any drugs. No one have any drugs. We are all going to go to jail. In Columbia, South America. Oh my gosh. And no one knows I'm over here. And I'm freaking out. And they didn't find drugs. Thank God. And I mean, I'm assuming that everybody did all their drugs if they had any. And so we get on the plane. Now, mind you, we were promised a certain amount of money, and I don't know what that was. But, but it was probably a lot to get you girls to do that. To it do must that. have been some massive amount of money they, they I, promised you. I don't remember. What, but oh, what I'm I, just going to say it had to be something massive because why would a bunch of beautiful young ladies decide to hop on some odd airplane, go to a third world country and take their clothes off. You don't see like, that seems like that's a lot of negative. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you did it and I'm glad you're back. You're glad I did it. I could have not done any of that. Well, I did see that I almost wanted to stay. That would have been a nightmare. I saw a giant, (laughs) your face, a giant Rolling Stones poster not poster, it was a billboard. It said, Rolling Stones. And we're like, oh my God, they're in town. I want to stay. And there was another girl that was a Rolling Stones fan. And we were like, let's stay. Let's change our ticket. We're going to see them. We find out later that it was like a year ago. They just never taken down the poster or billboard. Yeah. So we almost changed our ticket, just me and this other girl, Leslie. So anyways, we get on the plane I'm to sure leave. I'm sure if you would have tried to buy the t- the concert tickets first you would have found out yeah but we probably would have changed our tickets first like a ding dong we oh. weren't you know we're 20 yeah you know we're right. not thinking really if i like right now i would never have done what what i did like well, that course. just was not anyways so well, they were 20 you were probably 24 <laughs> yeah probably oh, okay just 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 <laughs> to be know. clear we're, yeah we're all in our 20s okay good good, good. Okay, so we get on the plane. We... I think I'm still a little upset about this. I think it was really stupid. Oh. I, 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 must I be. totally yeah. agree because you know, I'm just like, this think is it's the, stupid. the most ridiculous thing. I can't even believe that you guys made it back alive. And no one, no one ever got, no one got hurt or anything. Oh, I got beat up in a pit. <laughs> well, yeah, but that could have happened in, on Western That's Avenue. That's the... not, I didn't get really that hurt. Right, so. but... And then the guys were like respectful and stuff, and I think we only wrestled each other. Okay. I don't remember wrestling a guy. I maybe I did. I don't. I just, I just remember the highlights, which was, you know, being searched and that was scary and the, the guns. highlights of the trip, right? That, right. Yeah, and then and not getting, getting paid, paid what you the were right to amount. Be paid. Yeah. So we were on the plane, and I was like, you know what? We were all secretly talking. We're like. 
I think the manager of the Tropicana, he got all the payment and divvied it out. And I think he took it from us. So we need to confront him. So on the plane, we confronted him because he came back with emeralds. And wow. And because they were cheap back then or back at that time in Colombia. And um, I was like, you know what? He used our money to buy emeralds and we, uh, we're getting ripped off. And of course, it, it didn't matter what you, that you confronted no. him or anything because he just, no. just said, no, no, Bunch that's girls, just, yeah. no. Right. Anyways. Yeah. So that's what I did after we broke up. Insanity. I moved in. We had just uh, started working with Enigma Records. I was already, as you, as you mentioned, never home. Right. You know, so I dove into even more work. Enigma had their own eight-track studio, reel to reel, and um, which at the time, you know, everything was tape, and it was, uh, you know, it was nice. It was a nice little studio, and um, we could go there, you know, anytime, night or day, twenty-four hours a day, and record for free. And so we were working on our new songs and our sounds and. Our um, A&R rep, Curtis Beck, um, he had worked for Warner Brothers at one point, and uh, now he's with Enigma, who gave him a little bit more room to do what he loved to do. And he was a player as, himself, and he had certain ideas about how old-school rock and roll was so much higher quality and how it had all this longevity to it and would last forever, kind of like the Rolling Stones. You know, they still play songs in concert that were their first oh, record. Yeah. Isn't Satisfaction one of their oldest songs? Yes. And it's one of their biggest it hits. It is their biggest song, it and it is their first hit. Like in the 60s, and right? it is one of their, yes. Yeah. Yeah, mid-60s. And um, Tommy and I were already, we were always into that. And Tommy, your singer. Yeah. And we were always into older stuff. Tommy loved um, Elvis and the Beatles and the Stones and... And all this stuff like that. So it was a really good um, matchup. You know, our, our A&R guy really, we had similar feelings about things. And, and we would experiment and we would just have fun with it. And there was no rush to record our record. And um, Andy Johns was on board. He just did, came on board recently to produce it. And he had had, it's funny because Enigma was always known for not having very, uh big offers as far as like, you know, Poison got $30,000, um, other bands that made it things at the time, Poison had moved on, but, um, Striper was on Enigma and TSOL, um, Rhino Bucket, Richard Mark, there were, I'm sure multiple more, but that was, this is all for the music heads, the gear heads and the, yeah. (laughs) Often I talk about stuff that was going on at the time and unless you were actually there, and it's for the people that were there, because unless you were there, you probably aren't going to find anything. You're like, I've never heard of this band. I've never heard of this person. I've never... And, you know, back then, it, no one had a, a cell phone that had video quality. Right. You know, there's there was nothing. So, I mean... All chances, word of mouth. Yeah. Chances of finding anything is is very slim. And it, there are, I'm sure, certain things out there. But, um, matter of fact, I saw Rhino Bucket play the whiskey within six months ago. Mm. Um, and still mostly the original guys, except for uh, Brian Forsyth from, um, oh, the band that just quit playing. Um, wonderful guitar player, Telecaster, 
guitar chord. Oh, that! Oh, I know what that is. <laughs> you do know what a Telecaster goes is. By the guitars, you know, you know the guy. He plays the Telecaster, and he plays this amp. Kicks. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like kicks. Yeah. Okay. So it takes me that way. That's how guitar players figure stuff out. They remember the guy, then his equipment, and then it eventually leads to a song, and then they're like, "Oh yeah," and they can remember the band. And we knew Kicks because they used to play it at the Tropicana. A lot of the girls loved Kicks. Kicks was a wonderful band. Yeah, yeah, they uh, just play, that's amazing where I heard band. About it. Yeah, played forever and ever, and they just they just gave it up. They said they didn't want to be out there lip syncing, and they didn't want their quality to go down. So they oh. still, and they, I mean, considering they were still at the top of their game, that's amazing that they right. played that long. But yeah, so so yeah, there's all kinds of stuff throughout. You know, our first. 15 episodes and uh from here on out that that i'll i'll discuss about uh period appropriate hollywood and like i said the people that were there know what i'm talking about the people that weren't there maybe they don't care or maybe they want to try to dig around and figure it out so you can google it while you're while you're listening because yeah i know we said some people's names like Ron Jeremy, and we assume everybody knew, knows who that guy is. Right. And then we find out later because people are like, who was that? Yeah. And it's like, really? You don't know who the biggest porn star is? <laughs> like, I mean, I guess yeah. if well, you're, if I don't know, it's, he's just like an icon around Hollywood, so everybody knows him. So we can't assume. Yeah, he was, he was here in the, in the public eye when we moved here and all the way up until that problems he had recently he was well he's still, still kind there. of in the papers because he just got out anyways let, yeah. no ron jeremy on this one. Oh my gosh so oh, go on shane okay so yeah i just dove into um recording music you know and i moved with tommy he had been uh living for about three months um at this place out in the foothills in burbank it was a gorgeous place had we could go shoot basketball go swimming jacuzzis all the it's like multiple things, golf course, everything like that. It was a really great place. And um, we moved in with a guy named John from Cleveland who was Aerosmith's staff photographer. Like I said, Tommy had been there for three months, and then I moved in. And, and um, we, we just uh, literally woke up and started writing music and playing music, and we did it every day for months, just trying to really nail down our craft. And... Um, I never saw this apartment, so I have no recollection of anything. Yeah, he brought Aerosmith's demo of um, Love in an Elevator. Mm -hmm. And we were like, wow, listen to that, all the horns and all the, you know, it was was pretty crazy, big production. And at the time, we were kind of trying to take our, you know, we were like stripping stuff down, and they were adding stuff on. But we still saw, you know, I mean, Pump, that record is... For Aerosmith fans, that that is an outrageously good album, and um, also John was like, "Hey, uh, you guys uh, want to go meet Ted Nugent?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure." And he goes, you know, we'll go pick up one. It's a good Chicago hot dog. At the same time, we're like, "Sure, whatever." And we go to this hot dog joint that's like right in Burbank. We use their parking lot, and then after we have a little something to eat, he goes, "Let's go on down to the studio see what's going on." And, you know, we assume that he spoke to everybody and got everything all worked out for us to go hang out. And so we walk in to this old-looking house that had been totally modified to be this, like, super nice studio. And there's, you know, Ted Nugent and Tommy Shaw and Jack Blades. and um, oh, Wait, now, Tommy Shaw's from Styx. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Blades, is that what you said his name was? 
Uh, no. Oh. Jack Blades. Who's he? That's the bass player from Night Ranger. Oh, I like Night Ranger. Yeah. And so, you know, you got, so he was, there were two singers and it was basically, it was Damn Yankees that were doing their first record. Oh, I like Damn Yankees. And um, we were like, wow, what a weird combination. Cause he just mentioned Ted Nugent. So we're thinking Cat Scratch Fever, Ted Nugent or whatever. And we walk in and it's, you know, Styx, Night Ranger and Ted Nugent. We're thinking, wow, this is so great. You know, they're cutting edge. It's this new band It's doing stuff. And we've been invited to the studio and stuff like that. And then we could see that the uh, producer talking and he was probably some big name producer, but I don't know who it was. And he's talking to the guys. The guys are talking to the guys. And basically, they all figured out that no one had invited us. Oh, so you got kicked out? So we got thrown out. <laughs> How long were you there before they were like, We were really there for probably punks. 20 minutes. You know what oh. I mean? It's just, it's, well, that's long enough. We just got comfortable <laughs> enough, you know, and we were sitting down and like thinking, this is great. How cool is this? You know, and how fun, you know, and just to see the, the big dogs recording and, and all that, and, uh, you know, it's like, thrown out on our ear. And that was the first time we was like, wow, what's up with John? I mean, he's just like, you know, talking all this crap like he knows everyone and didn't even check to make sure it was okay we stopped in, you know. But, you know, soon after that, um, we get a knock on the door, and it's Derek St. Holmes, and we just met Ted Nugent, so we... Well, yeah, explain who that is, and I actually know who that is. Derek St. Holmes is... He played with Ted Nugent from day one. He was in the Amboy Dukes. But he wrote all of te- the hits of Ted Nugent's, right? He had something to do with writing the hits. Oh. The two of them wrote the songs together. Oh. And it's your stock, sto- stock story that after an album or two, they come off tour. And, you know, Derek St. Holmes has a Ford Taurus. And Ted Nugent has 500 acres in Michigan. And he's like, well, I've been with this guy since the band before the Ted Nugent band. Hmm. I've been with him since day one. What you're thinking is Derek St. Holmes is the voice of Ted Nugent. Like you hear somebody singing Stranglehold and, and all this stuff like this. I mean, it's this. not Ted Nugent singing that? No, it's Derek. Ted, really? Ted eventually sang, sings now like when he goes on tour and it's just like a three-piece band. Mm-hmm. But the recorded version of Free For All and, and um, Stranglehold and, huh. and all these stuff. Now, Ted would sing the more crazy stuff like Wang Dang, Sweet Poon Tang. Because oh. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of, yeah, do the baby, do the baby. You know, he's just kind of yelling. My but, sister always liked Ted Nugent. <laughs> but the vocalist that actually had the badass voice, was it's Derek St. Holmes. Huh, okay. Okay, and so Derek not only sang all of his major radio hits, mm-hmm. but he also helped write the songs, mm-hmm. okay? And so we're hanging out with Derek, and he's telling, and this is the, one of the first times, I mean, you heard, about this, you heard about these stories like the old bluesmen and all the old R&B guys that would get screwed over by the record company and stuff like mm-hmm. this. And then you start kind of hearing a little bit after you've been in the music business for a little while about guys in bands screwing each other over. Mm. And you're like, what's going on with that? Well, this is Ted Nugent, who, you know, I always thought was pretty kick-ass. I, you know, he's a, he's a real straightforward guitar player. You know, like meat and potatoes guy, which I enjoy. I like a guy that has his guitar. He has a cable. He plugs the cable into the amp. He turns the amp up, and he plays. That's mm-hmm. my kind of guy, right? Keith Richards is the same kind of dude, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but Ted's more of a virtuoso, you know, soloist, um, but also a songwriter. I always like songwriters, mm-hmm. you know. And we find out that, you know, 
Ted didn't write all those songs by himself. And so, like, get back to the story, Derek, two, three tours in after all these, you know, two, three hit albums, Derek's like, well, why does Ted have, like, a garage full of cool vehicles and 500 acres in Michigan? And I still have my apartment in Hollywood, and I have a Ford Taurus that's not even paid off yet. You know, and so he goes in and checks it out, and they go, oh, well, it's because Ted wrote all the songs. Ted's getting all the royalties. And then Derek's like, well, no, he didn't. So it's like kind of what Joey wanted to do, you know? Well, it's now like a, that you pointed out, huh. yeah, it's it's a thing. Wow. It's yeah, a thing. It's somewhere, somewhere in a situation like this, people are always offered... It's like, I guess they have Satan on one shoulder and oh. the angel on the other, you know, with their, you know, and um, someone says, so, so, so you, you wrote all these songs. This is amazing. At some point they can go, because they're there by themselves doing whatever, and they can go, yeah. And that leads someone in the record company or someone in the publishing company to believe that they're the, the only creator in the band. And so then they start treating them different. They start getting treated like, a big shot, and they start eating well, it up. Well, they should have some guilt. You would think. You would think. You would but, think okay. at this point, speaking about guilt and character, so at this, so that really obviously burnt a hole in Ted's and Derek's relationship. Mm. But what was really crazy is because no one else on the outside world knew this, and, mm-hmm. you know, Ted would still go, hey, I'm playing a show at the Cleveland Agora. I'll give you 500 bucks. We'll pay for your plane flight there and back and, you know, per DM while you're there so you can eat for free and everything. And, and he would do it. And, um, you know, we'll just stick 500 bucks in your in your bank account. And matter of fact, we're doing another show in Detroit the night after that. And then we're doing a show here. So if you want to do the next four shows, you got 2,000 bucks and you'll be back home in a week. But how much is Ted making? Probably $40,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ted's probably making ten grand a show, mm. and he's paying Derek five hundred dollars a show, and Derek's the one that helped mm. him write all the songs, mm. and it's his voice on the radio that have, just, mm. have made people buy the records. Wow! Yeah, so that's tough. Now, mm-hmm. years and years later, mm-hmm. apparently they finally came to a, a agreement where it was like, hey. Uh, from here on out, I'll give you this much of the publishing. Oh, really? But it was like a gift, and oh. he got nothing back. Like the millions and millions of records they sold. At the he beginning? Got, yeah. He didn't get any of he that, but he's getting that. it now or something? Now like, they sell records, but you know they oh. don't sell records anymore. Right. Oh, brother. You know what I mean? It's downloads, yeah. and who's yeah. downloading Ted Nugent songs? Right. And paying for it. Yeah. Yeah, he got fucked. Yeah, bad word, but that's the only <laughs> one that, that even comes close to describing what's yeah. going on. So, yeah, so that's, I was learning, <laughs> getting a firsthand education mm-hmm. about the music. Of course, I did, had already learned about part of that mm-hmm. with Joey and right. my first record deal. This is my, well, I didn't have a record deal at that point. I had a publishing deal. So now I have a record deal. And because of Andy Johns, I kind of touched on this earlier. Andy Johns at that point normally charged about $100,000 to produce a record. And we got Enigma. We had a guy, uh, Seth Lichtenstein, was our attorney that did the um, 
all of the, the bartering, and he worked for the same, he worked for the attorney firm that Keith Richards, there's another Keith mm. Richards tie-in, mm. and I found, you know, we found this guy through Johnny Teagarden or whatever, and ended up with him, and it was just during discussion that he's like, well, my boss, mm-hmm. he's like, well, my boss's main um, act or main person that she takes care of is, uh, you may know him, Keith Richards for the Rolling Stones, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> okay. Well, that's kind of cool, you know, and they had a really super cool uh, office and all that fun stuff. But um, he, had, he had pre-negotiated our uh, Enigma deal and it was like 125 grand. And um, they gave us like... Uh, so just, that, that means you could pay for Andy Johns? Well, Andy, because it was only 125, mm-hmm. said he'd do the record for two points. Oh, so we did it something different because he liked you. Yeah. He, yeah, he believed in you. Okay. So we didn't have to give him any money up front. And he's a engineer? He's an engineer and a producer. Producer, okay. Right. Okay. But he was going to produce our record, so he probably would have had somebody pushing knobs in engineering for okay. him. Okay. He started out as an engineer for his brother, Glenn Johns. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people get stuff confused because Andy's worked on so many records of all the stuff back then. They were pumping records out. Every band that everyone loved was pumping a record out every year, sometimes more than one a year. And he started, when he was 16, engineering for his brother. Basically, his brother's saying, hey, move that SM57 closer to the voice coil on that uh, Greenback Celestian in that 1968. So his brother's older. Yes. Okay. And his brother is still out there producing. He has a book out that Mm -hmm. that I got that's that's amazing, Um, Glenn Johns. Um, But... Because so Andy's passed away. Andy, we lost Andy a few years yeah. back. We okay. did. We did. What a great guy and what a bunch of great stories. So that's, um, you know, that's pretty much immediately what happened. Actually, there is one more little quick story I'm going to throw in here. Is, uh, so we've been there. Tommy'd been there for three months. And then I moved in, and I was there for three months. So Tommy was there for six months total. And... Um, Everything's going great at the studio, and everything's going great with the record company. And you know, everyone talks to us when we walk in, makes us feel important, and we're like their next big thing. And they're like, "Yeah, Andy Johns is going to reproduce their album." And I don't know if anyone of that stature had produced an album for Enigma, so mm-hmm. it was a big deal. The whole thing was, you know, talked about, and we uh, had a, you know an A and R guy that was completely entirely behind us and pushing us to to make music that would be that would last. Right, right. You know, that we were 50, 60 years old, that we could play right. and be, be proud of. Um, and uh, we get this pounding, just, we, well, John went on tour. John is, wait. He is the Aerosmith staff photographer oh, okay, that introduced, gotcha. to, that we lived with, okay. that introduced us to everybody. Okay, so he went on tour. So he goes Aerosmith. on tour, we assume. Okay. Yeah. He goes on tour with Aerosmith for the pump tour. And we get woke up to this just insane, crazy banging and knocking and all this stuff like that. And so, you know, we were up all hours of the night, and we're just like, so we finally make it down the stairs. Anyone knows Tommy? Tommy's got, you know, freaking, you know, one sock doesn't match the other sock. One's halfway on his foot. He was just a character. He just looked like whenever he went to bed, when he woke up, it looked like someone had thrown a hand grenade in the area that he was at. So he just looked really tore up. And we get to the door, and there's this little foreign man and this really big sheriff. Oh, here we go again. Why is the sheriff there now, Shane? 
The sheriff is there to throw us out of the premises and tell us that everything inside the premise is theirs. That they're locking it up and it now belongs to the landlord because no one has paid rent for six months. So from the time Tommy moved in all the way to that exact moment, John had been nursing his cocaine habit with our rent. And he had one other guy hmm. that had started paying rent as well. So there at, at one point were three of us paying rent. Oh, my gosh. He, he had a lot of drugs, huh? And he was using every bit of it for his cocaine habit. And it hadn't paid a penny for six months. And um, so, I mean, he was already in. They already were trying to throw him out before Tommy even got. Tommy even moved in. Oh, and you and didn't know that. No, He didn't not. know it. Nobody so. knew it. Oh, my gosh. And so we were so... First off, one thing's lucky. Since we had to deal with Enigma and we're at the studio, every bit of gear I owned was at the studio. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. Right? I mean, like I had like one guitar, I think. Mm-hmm. And everything else I completely owned, every... I mean, because I was having fun. I had walls of gear plugging. You know, I, yeah. I was in dreamland. And... um. I think there's an old picture of me somewhere that I, I ran across. We'll see if we can put it up on the... Website? Yeah, by the way, people, if you ever check our website out, we have photographs that coincide with what we're talking about on each episode. Yeah. Pretty or cool. Or video, if there's a video that's related. Right, right. Anything like that. Well, uh, Maria works diligently hard after oh, yeah. we do these. <laughs> I, I edit them so they sound good, and she goes into like massive... Uh, photo albums. Photo <laughs> albums and, and takes photographs of photos... And they turn out pretty good. Yeah, so so there's a sheriff there, and he's like, hey, man, we're taking everything. And I don't know if they can just tell by how surprised we are, but we're like, we are subletting from John. We pay John every month. Matter of fact, for what it's worth, we have a record deal, and our record company takes care of it. Oh. <laughs> Not, you know, it was... Just, you know, it's like we, so, I mean, there's, we have no idea what you're talking about. And every, you know, I don't know what he has in here. You know, these are his, you know, furnishings and stuff like that. But, you know, we have a a room that we rent and we have our beds and our television sets. Actually, I didn't have a TV. Tommy did. Um, I had all your stuff. You had all your belongings except the gear. Yeah. There was just a tiny bit of gear. I had just like a little 64 Princeton and a. And one guitar, I think it was a Strat that was there. And um, he was like, it's up to the landlord. As law rules it, you guys leave now. And um, everything that's here is his. The landlord looked at us and he just, he's like, can you find the truck and load all your stuff out of here in an hour? That's pretty, that's really too soon. And he's like, and and yeah. And, And we're like, we'll take anything. We're like, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it, you know. And um, we had enough stuff that we, you know, beds and stuff like that. You can't just stick in your car, right? How'd you get a truck? And we we took we drove down to, you know, we have no credit cards, no nothing like this, right? I you mean, know what like, I mean? And um, again, I think it was a record company thing where we could show that we had record because they did give us check stubs. Oh, and I think we got direct deposit. So you rented a truck, and I I left them my car. Oh, for I get, collateral? For collateral. Well, I don't think they do that anymore. I know. It's old school stuff. Right. We just We just went and told them the absolute truth. We said the guy mm-hmm. we've been running from is dirty, 
and we found out he's never paid rent since we've been there, and he's taken our money and done whatever with it, but he never paid the, you know, never paid the bills, and the sheriff is there to lock us out, you know. Did you get all your stuff and Tommy's stuff? We got it all. What'd you do with his stuff? We didn't touch his stuff. We left it. Oh, so he came home to nothing. Yeah. Did he ever say anything to you? Never like, saw him again. I've never, oh, you never saw him again? Never saw him again. It's, huh. Yeah. Is he still alive? I have no idea. Hmm. No idea. I should probably look him up at some point. I can't yeah. even recall it. We just called him John. So I can't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'd have to dig around and just, find it. Right. And if I saw the last name, I'd go, oh, there he is. So where did you go? You had to move out. Did you have a, did you have to go look for an apartment? Like, so before I had moved, okay, so before Tommy moved theirs. Yeah. So this was six months prior. Uh-huh. He talked to Jerry Marsicano, our sound man. Oh, I at, know Jerry. Okay. Jerry Marsicano, our sound man at Gazzari's, is the best sound man in Hollywood as far as I'm concerned. Um, super gifted sound guy. And, um, and, and at everything. He's a guitar player, songwriter. I mean, you should hear his kids' songs. I mean, you should, you should, the man should be wealthy. Um, great guy. And um, he had a band of his own. And um, I think they were called 976 Dead mm-hmm. is what his band was. And it was with Jojo Fastrich mm-hmm. and Kevin, two guys from Columbus, Ohio, hmm. of all odd things, that right? That is weird. Okay. And they all live in this place way out in Reseda. Oh, was this White Oak? Yes. Uh, way out off of White, White Oak, Oak Boulevard in Reseda. The house and, in White Oak. And um, I remember that house. That's, that's what got us to that house. Because you all called him and like, we, called we him need up. a place for all our stuff right now in an hour, <laughs> right? Well, we didn't need it in an hour. We just had to get it out in an hour. But oh, after still. some, and of course you couldn't just call somebody and we didn't even have a phone at the, at the oh, apartment. Yeah. So I think we went to a pay phone. Or you went to his house and knocked on his door. No, no, because no, we knew before that. we got there. Because oh, we didn't even okay. know where his house was. Oh, okay. So we had to call him and, okay. and he said, do you have a place? And I think we both moved into one room uh-huh. to start and then someone moved out and then you got your and own we room. got our own rooms next time see ya bye next time the place you moved in with her was at the place that I'd seen yeah on, on Wooster it was on Pico and Robertson yeah so there was no like room for me so we got our own place over by Barney's Beanery and it was, I forgot the road, but it was between Santa Monica and Fountain Boulevard. There was, that Denny's was right there, too, we could walk to. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a refrigerator, so we always walked down Santa Monica Boulevard. Almost every day, we're like, okay, let's get some food. We don't have a refrigerator. <laughs> we didn't have very much money either, because I was trying not to work at the Tropicana. For more information, like photos and videos, hit us up on our socials, or check out our website, allaboutyoupodcast.com. Till next time, bye. It's all about you.